This episode of Rural Gray is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for your tablet, smartphone, and desktop. Support the show and get a free audiobook of your choice by visiting audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Hey everyone, I'm Rod Roddenberry, and you're listening to Trek FM. T.L. Gray, hot. It's time for another serving of Earl Grey, our dedicated TNG show. I'm Darren Moser, sitting in the center chair this week. I'm joined by my co-host Daniel Prue at Ops. Uh, Daniel, are we receiving any messages from Starfleet? Uh, yeah, actually, we, we're receiving a, a message encoded with uh, level 47 encryption, so I think you probably should go take this in your ready room. Okay. Oh, yeah. That's that's definitely important. I mean, I mean, no one's in there to listen anyway, besides just me. So that would be a pretty secure room. Yes. No one else is in that room. Bloop, exactly. Bloop, 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 bloop. <laughs> and also, I'm joined by my co-host Philip Gilfus at Science Station Two. Philip, can you tell me what what starbase are we approaching on this course? Uh, we are approaching. Let's see. Outpost uh, Deep Space Four uh, Seven. Um, 4-7, okay. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's kind of okay. I mean, they really have kind of a rundown bar um, run by a local rep probate. Really, he's always getting into trouble, that guy. Um, and really, it's kind of dark in there. Like, it's really dark in there. Um, and uh, some parts just aren't that good. So, um, But anyway, that's where we're going. It has bad Yelp reviews, basically, what you're saying. <laughs> Space Yelp! <laughs> Space Yelp. <laughs> well, in space, no one can hear you yelp. yelp so. <laughs> oh, that might be the title, too. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> We're coming up with so many good titles, and we haven't even started yet. Well, as you might have guessed, fellow listeners, this is episode 47 of Earl Grey. And as you may have not known, uh, 47 is, a, is, a, is a, I guess, a meme? What would you call it? Just a, a sticking point in Star Trek The Next Generation? And Star Trek in general, it seems. They love putting that number in places it's it you see it in star bases you'll see it in uh, all sorts of places but what do you guys think about you know episode four, 47 the number 47 is it overused and <laughs> not so great oh yeah some of those uh I, some of those are trying a little too hard yeah from what i understand like it was i don't know some of the writers or at least one of the writers of tng like went to some college that had some sort of a 47 club because it was like the perfect number or whatever it keeps coming up in, in nature and I, and at first it was cool and then it kind of gets a little tired but i actually like the clever like instances of it when it's not like there's 47 percent shields right. like that's obnoxious. really really subtle yeah. yeah but like if they're passing a doorway or something and it says 47 i like that i think that's clever and fun just something neat to throw in there for fans to, to keep or the satellite on. has a 47 on it but they don't even say it it's just right. if you saw it in the one shot then you you're like oh hey hey i saw that and then, and then they were going to have that Voyager episode, the 47s, but then they decided to change the title. Um, but, uh, you know, yeah, yeah. I think it wakes you up, though, when you're watching Star Trek. You'll be like, 47? Oh, okay, I see. You guys. <laughs> you guys. <laughs> well, as this is our 47th episode, I wanted to do something special. So we three are going to list our 47th 
favorite things about Star Trek. Individually. So, so we are going to have 47 times 3. This is going to no, be a no, five-hour no, no. show. Seven divided points. by 3. <laughs> divided. I mean, I'm not as good at space math, but I'm pretty sure that's way more, you know, fittable into, <laughs> into a podcast episode. So I am going to start off our list with... Uh, I really like the special effects on Deep Space Nine. I mean, this was the era you had Babylon 5 as well, which you know didn't quite have the same budget and really did a good job with CG, but the the models and the station and just everything, they, they had taken so much of what they had learned from previous series and just, it was very refined. Like, this was the second version and it was coming out and just the special effects for... Odo to the transporter effect to everything it it just looked amazing in that whole series yeah and I just I want to just say too that I agree so so much with you but like Deep Space Nine more than way more than Voyager way more than Enterprise way obviously Enterprise and way more even than than the JJ stuff like we this is the only series we see fleets of ships oh, fighting yeah. each other and how because cool they could afford that? to yeah right <laughs> And it, and it made sense in that series. So I, I just I appreciate that for what it was worth, too. I thought it was great. And, and I love the special effect in Deep Space Nine, that mannequin that they have sitting at the bar. Man, that guy looks real. It looks like a real character that's... Wait, <laughs> he, I'm He's always told, there, too. I'm being told it's a person. Oh, never mind. Sorry. He's a, ver- he's a very chatty mannequin. There's a whole episode about his death. I mean, I'm surprised you forgot about that film. <laughs> Who mourns for mourn? We all, all right, do. we well, all do, Philip. We all do. <laughs> well, I I don't. <laughs> oh, it's, it's, Daniel, it's a you're silent morning. Oh, 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 that could have been a good episode title. Um, uh, so if I could have superseded the captain's authority on this episode, I would have, and I would have said nacelles are number one. I can't do that, so I guess we'll have to settle for number two, which makes sense. I just said first, not necessarily number one. Well, you're, first, right, you're, right, you're right. So well, there's two nacelles. But there's two nacelles, so I guess it's appropriate. Um, I pick nacelles half as a joke kind of thing because I'm the nacelle guy. I love nacelles, but also because I think it was uh, uh, when they were designing the original Enterprise, it was unique and and that has become a staple of Star Trek. And I think that it's an incredible design choice. And I think that it's it screams Star Trek, and we never get anything quite like that. And I really th- appreciate it for that. I agree. No, I I liked the, you know, when you look at the original series Enterprise and they say like, okay, we took kind of this element from like a flying saucer and this element from like a rocket and then we put these engines like, but it, it, the balance of it is so good. And it, you're right. I love how you can recognize a Federation ship almost immediately because of that, that design. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Okay, Philip, you're number three. My number three coming up on the third. Oh, sorry. Um, mine is the uh, the humor of of Star Trek. You know, because I think uh, I don't know. A lot of times, I think here on Earl Grey, I usually talk about the serious stuff and and the heady stuff and the morality stuff. But I mean, really, when it comes down to it, is is the the humorous episodes and the funny parts of Star Trek, whether it's you know trouble with the tribbles, trials and tribulations, or whether it's a uh, um, message in a bottle from Voyager or, or any of the funny episodes where we just see our characters who are usually dealing with the big command decisions and life and death and the unknown and all that stuff and what's life. But instead, every now and then we actually just get to, to have a good laugh with these characters, and it's believable. Um, but, but, you know, TOS, I think, did it a lot sometimes 
purposefully. Um, and and then I think the other no, I love them, but um, but you know the, the other ones too, because I think TOS probably had probably the most humorous episodes. You know, um, piece of the action it had fun being campy sometimes. Yeah, stuff like that. Um, but yeah, I just I just love. Uh, I, I mean, anything with the, the the Doctor and Voyager. Almost half of his episodes are humorous episodes. Just watching him, his little snide remarks, droll things, and even in the most serious episode, he'll have his little line or something. You know, so you know, here I am on the ship of the damned or something. You know, and <laughs> whatever. And so, so, so I just I just love the humor that Star Trek brings. No, they definitely take that page from uh, Joss Wheaton where it's like, be serious, be intense, but then, for the love of God, tell a joke. <laughs> you know, br- break it up. And, and they they do that so well. Yeah, each of the series, of course, had their respective characters that were very good at doing that. So, Yeah, I mean, and watching my, my DS9 rewatch, you know, like, TOS always has a oh, joke at the end of the bridge, haha. DS9 season one, like, every episode, like, half of every episode in season one begins with Quark <laughs> and Odo being like, so what's up? Well, I'll tell you what's up. This is how humans are weird. Huh, you don't have to tell me, you know. So. <laughs> Root beer, ha! <laughs> don't get me started. <laughs> All right, well, my fourth, uh, there's a number four, I chose warp travel. Uh, it's just an, I mean, again, you want to talk staples of Star Trek and fast and light travel is just, uh, is, I mean, it was, wasn't the first series or show to ever use that, but you know, the fact that I love in the original series, like it takes, even with warp travel, it takes some time to get places. Like you feel like they're out in the expanse and they're traveling and let alone Voyager who's been flung halfway across the galaxy. And, you know, that makes warp drive seem like impulse. Like they're just limping home, save a couple of, you know, nebulas and, you know, gateways. But, but I, I love, you know, the, from the snapback effect of going to warp to the, you know, streaking stars. It's just, I, I love, that's just Star Trek to me. And I, I love the, um, and I, I'm half making fun of it, half being serious. The uh, motion picture, we dropped all the paint behind us when we went to warp. Uh, rainbow effect of that first time because that was the first time we ever saw a warp effect you know because in TOS it's just like you just heard and the ship tilted and that was going at warp um, but in the motion picture it was the first time you actually had a and um, yeah I mean it is oh I know what you're talking about yeah, yeah. I wish it was used a little more consistently the scale of things and the scope of things but I agree like like in my mind, when I'm thinking of living on the on the Enterprise in some fashion, I'm like, I think my favorite times would be the day, the two days it would take to get to the next planet. Like you're just traveling at warp, and it's everything's quiet, and you're just having you're just living in that world. So I I love warp travel. And we never see those moments in the series where it's like Voyager or Enterprise, where it's like ahead warp factor five, engage. Everyone's like, yeah, and then it's like. Yep. So, um, so uh, movie night. <laughs> two weeks, hey. Yeah. <laughs> I know it's like you know, there's that awkward pause where they're all staring ahead, and it's been like two minutes, and you realize it's just going to warp, guys. Like it's, <laughs> it's really nothing. But like it, we're getting on the expressway, basically. Like it's it's going to take us a while to get there. Exactly. Um, not know. to take a. Not to take away from the the most beautiful ending ever in Star Trek Six. But when Kirk is like, they're like, we're supposed second to be decommissioned. And Kirk's like, second start of the right. <laughs> and then, like, what happens after that moment? They're like, they just start like. Five pat- minutes later, it's like, well. <laughs> I guess we do I guess have we to go turn back. around. 
<laughs> we should stop posing like we're taking a yearbook picture. <laughs> All right, number five, Daniel. Uh, you know, I just this is I'm retreading old old ground for all of our listeners that have been with us the whole time. Uh, Romulans, but I mean, I guess you could I guess you could really use them as a stand-in for just any any you know race that that we see throughout all of Star Trek, like Vulcans, Klingons, whatever. Like just just the fact that we that we get to see these races change and evolve and 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 do different things and the balance of power shifts. I specifically like Romulans. I like how they're handled in all of the series. Yes, I can say that. Um, so yeah, I, you, you almost said the TOS episode title. <laughs> I did. I did. I should have, I don't know how I could have fit that in there, but I should have. Well, you know, it's, do you, do you miss the fact that the defiant lost that Romulan officer? I, you know, they were always supposed I, to have that Romulan officer, she was, a, she was a spunky Romulan sub commander or whatever. She was I'm, the Kira of uh, Romulus. <laughs> well, I we don't. I mean, we don't need to be mean. But, but no, I'm. I'm, I'm, te- I'm Forty-seven I'm things we love. Forty-seven everyone. things we love. <laughs> I know. I'm joking, guys. Everybody, I'm just joking. Um, but no, I do. I wish they kept her. I I thought she was cool, and she could have really added a, a neat element. It's one of the few times, I think that. You know, Deep Space Nine was so character heavy. I think that maybe they just—it was too much. It might have just been too many characters. Um, but I really Very wish quickly they... they're like, you know, do we really want to have to have this person every time we go on the Defiant? <laughs> like, maybe she was there the whole time. She was just cloaked. <laughs> Philip's stroking his imaginary goatee for those of you who can't see us, which is cloaked be all as well. Of you. <laughs> All right, Philip, number six. Um, to me, and I know this is so encompassing, and so encompassing, we have a separate podcast all about it. Uh, music, the music of Star Trek. So we have melodic treks with Colin that I certainly recommend if anyone isn't listening to that. But I mean, just the, the, the music of Trek. Um, I mean, I'm a fan. I know some people aren't, but I'm a fan of all the openings, um, series openings. Mm-hmm. So like Deep Space Nine, I mean, it's a little slow for me. So I like the second version of the DS9 one. Um, Voyager, I mean, so recognizable. I like it. Uh, I like Enterprise. I like Enterprise one. I mean, I don't like the second one, uh, but anyway, but I like it. Um, but not even just the beginnings, just the music itself that just swells up. I mean, even the JJ music, I really love um, from the both movies. Um, you know, like the the from the 2009, the part where like uh, you know J- Kirk Senior, George Kirk, is you know about to crash the the Kelvin and that you know, music that plays there so pulls you, and then into darkness, the part where uh, Kirk is quote hand quote dying um that music that plays just really pulls you but just the music of all of trek i mean it it's uh you know so at tos like you can play me any music from tos and i can be like oh that's that episode because it's just so signature in tos and it's so music and it's heavy. also that episode and also that episode <laughs> yeah and also that episode no but. i mean like like shore leave has a certain i mean i can tell you like a mock time very famous music um okay. even a piece that's of the action true. that's true has that chicago i mean like, they really it's really heavy um and I, and I love it i love it all but even the other series a little more subtle um in the later series but but even but, but it's just good I'm, I just want everybody to know, and if you guys agree with me, you can tweet me or, or write into the show. I am season one through three Deep Space Nine theme fan. I like this, the quieter, the slower. Mm. I like it without the, 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 the drums and stuff. But anyways, that's it. That's all I want to say. No, that's true. I mean, I, 
I I have to say my favorite intro f- of uh, Enterprise is not the first or the second. It's the mirror one because that, oh, that, that one is a good cool. one. <laughs> that is good. <laughs> um, but yeah. All right. Number seven, uh, Blu-ray response. Just when the original series went to Blu-ray and they did the remastered version of it. And I mean, I know it was you know semi-controversial, like, oh, they're changing things. But, but overall, you made this beautiful restoration of this footage and yes they updated the effects and and things like that but i think it you know if you have to keep your material looking good or it's gonna fade away i mean we're no one's gonna pull out a beta copy of something to try to find to to watch a a good clip and so i'm really thankful for you know that being started with the original series and you know it's three seasons you know the small you know bite to take and we're definitely benefiting from from that response the fans have had for the Blu-rays. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think my only problem with the original series Blu-ray is that look, Kirk shot first, and I think that's something. <laughs> I know it's controversial, uh, Philip, but I just want to. Uh, Philip, wait, what? Oh, is that that's the other? Oh, sorry, no, that, that's not Star Trek. Yeah, sorry. okay, yeah. but uh, I mean, yeah, because Enterprise, you know, has its Blu-rays out, which I haven't seen, but but always hear um, certainly over in Warp Five, um, and, and other folks always talk about how great that is. So, and hopefully, you know, the, the pressure we hope is building for the other series um, to get their Blu-ray, you know, moments. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's and and because I think with um, TOS, once Trials and Tribulations came out on Deep Space Nine, and you kind of saw like, oh. Is that what it was supposed to look like? Okay, that's cool. And so <laughs> it looks like, amazing. <laughs> let's, let's retcon that, you know. And so, which I think it works. I've seen the the, the newer ones, um, and it's fine. I mean, I like I like being able to fix stuff. It's fine, you know. As long as you don't take away the story, you can fix some of the stuff, update it. Okay, number eight, Daniel, Kirk and Spock. Come on, come on now. This is this is OG stuff here. This is. You know, I'm, you know, there've always been, you know, great friendships in fiction, but it's hard. Frodo and Sam, you know, yeah. Kirk and Spock. It's it's Lucy hard. Lucy to... <laughs> It's I just I can't. You know, it didn't start out where it ended up. Obviously, it was very. It was a big long journey that we got to see, and and I I just I don't think to the journey. Characters were... Wait, what? Wait, what? No, no. <laughs> oh, to the journey of the characters. I see what you're doing. Yeah. Um, I don't think either of those characters are nearly. They're 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 more than the sum of their parts. So you know, without the other, they are such a perfect complement. And of course, you could throw bones in there, and we all do most of the time. But but really, if you had to boil it down, it's Kirk and Spock and the friendship that they have, and it's one of my favorite aspects of. Of Star Trek, and I'm I, I have no problems admitting as a 28 year old man that I tear up in in the Wrath of Khan every single time. The yeah, true it, death between Kirk and Spock. Yeah, oh Lordy, let's not get controversial. Um, well, like one of my favorite, and I know I don't know, I don't think people hate it, but I don't think people talk about it much. I love the Star Trek three opening. I mean, it, it's the only movie that begins with "Previously on Star Trek," um, and <laughs> where you because <laughs> basically the, the, it. Yeah, because you have the music and you're showing that scene. I guess it's going back to music, but that scene again. I just love that kind of recap, and then it comes at you slowly because it starts far away and comes closer with that Kirk Spock moment. Yeah, I mean, and and obviously you saw it in the original, you saw it in the movies, and then of course that JJ certainly trying to, to to do that recapture as much as he can there. Well, um, and yeah, yeah, I think it it comes across, and you even get a little bit of it. Um, you know, a small 
morsel in unification too. But 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 yeah, I think that that, that friendship drives all other friendships and all the other series to come. No, it it definitely sets the sets the benchmark for interpersonal, you know, characters and Star Trek. All right. Uh, you're up next, Philip, with number nine. Yes, um, I have the diversity of the cast, and, and this and I, you can take it a bunch of ways, but this is how I mean it. Um, you know, in TOS, it was sort of a it was sort of a Starship Earth, right? You had the uh, you know the first black character, kind of major black character. You had you know someone uh, from Asian descent. You had a Russian eventually. You had a Scotsman. You had, you know, sort of men, women, you know, a half alien, you know, right there. And so there's like this big diverse cast, like every, everyone's from everywhere. And then, of course, it continues where it's not only human diversity, but human alien diversity. You know, even though it kind of goes a little, you know, um, American heritage human, I'll admit. But still, you know, it, it, we, we, do, we do embrace an alien or aliens in every cast. Which then opens up a new aliens, you know. We didn't know anything about Denoblians, you know, until Enterprise. You know, we didn't know anything about Trill. Well, we didn't know that much about Trill. And then we didn't, you know. So every species kind of, even if they've been mentioned before in a prior series, you get to learn a whole bunch more every every series that comes. So, so you got, got the Delta Quadrant species in Voyager with Neelix and Kess. And, and even the Borg, I suppose. So I, I, I do appreciate that always having, you know, that diverse part of and we got, even got to learn more about Vulcans to us you could argue in Voyager with Tuvok so even the inside of a hologram's mind I exactly mean, who would have thought I am yeah. of the camp that the ne- and it's probably unlikely due to the way that that the business works but I, I think the next captain should be an alien captain I think the next captain should be Andorian or or something you know something different um, of course, it's, neutral, di- it's, it's very difficult to, to convince Hollywood to to put their main actor in that much makeup every week. But I think it would be interesting. I think yeah. it would be really neat. Because, I mean, each captain has been a breakthrough. You know, you know, you started with Kirk, you know, sort of your, your stereotypical, you know, action guy, whatever, from the 60s. Then you had, you know, this sort of Frenchman, Britishman. Okay, that's different i mean a european right he's not american i mean either the character he plays or the person he is then you had the first black captain you had the first woman captain and then gra- groundbreaking enterprise the first american white captain that you know that was the first time they had done that on <laughs> star trek so um you know but anyway all right number 10 cardassian architecture uh i really like cardassian architecture i love the look of the station i love how in DS9, I mean, they're presenting not just a new location, but a whole culture. And I think one of, one of my favorite comics I read, it was it, they were, they poke fun at Klingons, and they're like, what if there's like a Klingon who's like a designer? And he's like, this year, more belts. Next year, more sashes. You know, because, you know, they're always you're kind of changing their outfits a bit. But I just love the, the look of, you know, the Cardassian station and from their, you know, push buttons for the elevators to their view screens to their computer displays. I mean, it felt like you were in this alien environment, like, you know, almost like, Oh man, I hope we could get these to translate because I don't know what button I'm pushing. I, I, I agree. I love the look of deep space nine. I think it's beautiful and amazing and incredible. I, I, one thing I never really, and I guess it doesn't, I guess maybe this is a double standard that I hold in my head, but like they're the outside of their ships are all, like bronze or or copper, gold or tan, whatever you want to call that color, because it changes sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and then the inside is very dark. But but if you go inside, I, if I remember correctly, my Deep Space Nine, if you go inside some of those Galar class ships, they're more brightly lit than Deep Space Nine is. So it's like a it's like a very unique. Even inside the Cardassian culture, it's kind of a very unique kind of architecture, which is fine. There's no there's no there's no reason that they can't be varied. Um, but I, I agree. I agree wholeheartedly that it's it's a beautifully designed station. All right, number eleven. Daniel. Okay, um, real quick, uh, it's the fact that, of course, obviously we're talking about Star Trek, but we have to, we're looking at the things in hindsight now of 750 or so episodes and 13 movies or whatever, but the fact that it, it hits the mark more than it misses the mark on the fact that we're all in one universe, of course there's going to be contradictions in fiction that's that large. It's always going to happen. But uh, the, I, and, and I rag on it a lot, but I, I'm always constantly impressed. I'm always finding new things to be like, oh my goodness, they dropped a thread in this series and picked it up in this series. And they referenced this tiny, they mentioned a planet once, uh, you know, in passing, and then all of a sudden they're going to that planet or whatever. Like, I love the fact that Star Trek tries to be and often succeeds at a very difficult task of being all-encompassing of being universal so I, I that's a fantastic feature of it yeah and, and it makes the fans really kind of get way more involved in it which is fine because that's especially what we do and i do um you know sort of like wait a minute is archer 4 in i might be saying that wrong in tos named after captain archer from enterprise because he visited that one planet in this episode and oh my god i can't believe it did that or one of my favorite threads is in Voyager when they come across the Ferengi. And I'm like, the writer who thought of that idea <laughs> was brilliant. Because it's like, how else do you get the Ferengi in the Delta Quadrant? You know, someone was doing a series rewatch. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Philip, uh, number 12. Okay, number 12. I kind of already made a reference to it, but it's sort of obvious for folks who have been listening to me, and that's the tackling the big issues. And that's what Trek does, or tries to do, successfully does, unsuccessfully, but it tries to do it. You know, what is life? What, you know, what, is, what, is, what does life mean? Is it holograms? Is it, what is it? And then, like, what is war? What is peace? What are the decisions we have to make? What are the big command decisions that these captains and commanders and whomever have to make that, that they have to live with, right or wrong? And, and you know, whether it's sort of the the allegories that TOS and later series tackles or just the, the in-universe problems, and and you're there. You know, like Captain Janeway, I think one thing I like about her is that sometimes she makes bad decisions, but I like that because she's imperfect, you know. She, and so it, it's very interesting to watch them make these decisions. You know, your your two crew members have been merge into one guy what do you do now or or do you grow a whole new copy of one of your crew members just so you can get like the organ to save the original guy in an enterprise and it's just like big crazy stuff and and that's what this this big sci-fi universe lets us think about and talk about no that's that's one of my favorite threads of of star trek as well just the morality plays the the big speeches the you know star trek at its best is holding a mirror up to us and making us ask questions. And sometimes we look through the mirror darkly. All right, a short one, number 13, um, V'ger. I love that the Voyager probe shows up in Star Trek. I mean, even though it's Voyager 6, which we didn't actually send, but, you know, hey, there's still time. We could still send one. But, uh, you know. <laughs> Are you actively I, wanting 
Voyager to come attack us? Is that what you're rooting for? No. I mean, we've only sent two, though. We still got, like, four to send. I mean, that's got some time, you know. But, no, I, I love that, you know, a, basically a typo causes the big twist in Star Trek The Motion Picture or a little bit of grit on the... You know, I mean, they could apparently read and decipher our language, but not enough to realize that that's not a whole word. I mean, supercomputer species, yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. No, they were also germaphobes. <laughs> yeah, but no, I, I mean, from the scale to the models used to the actual set, when you eventually see it, uh, it's just—I think it's a great part of uh, the motion picture. All right, Daniel, take us into number fourteen. Maybe many of our listeners have seen this picture on Facebook or wherever on social media. There's a picture with Kirk has his communicator and then it shows a flip phone, you know, and then Picard is holding a pad and it shows the iPad and Cisco is wearing the Jem Hadar uh, glass and it's like Google glass. The, the amazing thing, the amazing ability that Trek has to predict or maybe even influence technology uh, in a way that 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 is very real that we have seen, you know, in our in our real world, and I think at least in some small part, you know, there could have been an engineer from Motorola that was like, "I love Star Trek. I want to flip my communication device open. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to make it happen." And that's incredible. That's amazing that a science fiction show that a science fiction property can inspire that kind of uh, real world application. No, very, very much so. All right. Give us another big one, Philip. Number 15. Um, And this is an obvious one, but you still have to say it, um, that this is an optimistic future from the, the United Federation of Planets and everything else. This is an optimistic future. And we're... We're the only ones. I see. We sound like I made Star Trek. Anyway, so Trek. Star Trek is the only ones. I don't know why I said you me. made Star um, Trek. I did. I did. I I wrote a. I don't know. Nothing. Um. Anyway. Um. I bought a toy. So pretty much that makes you belong. It's like a, being a stockholder. Um. And so, but no, this is an optimistic future. I mean, yeah, other sci-fi properties. You know, they're not doom and gloom, and or by any means. Um. But but this is like, hey, we not only are having fun, we're having adventures. We figured it out. We figured out how to not be prejudiced or have poverty or, or you know, be petty. And, and yeah, we still have problems, but we're, they're advanced problems. They're, they're 201 problems. We're, we're still dealing with 101 problems here in the 21st century. And so, I mean, I think that's what, what makes Star Trek something worth pursuing and, and seeing the, like, yes. You know, whether you argue that that's reality or not, whether it's possible or not, you still want to have that thing on the pedestal that you can look up to and be like, Yes, maybe, maybe one day, and that's what Trek does. Yeah, that's that's definitely one of my favorite things about Star Trek as a whole. It, I mean, I I really like Star Wars, but it's you know it's a galaxy far, far away. I love how Star Trek is our future. It's it's an evolution of the wars we've gone through, the problems we've dealt with, and the it's yeah, it's that vision that there will be a day when we will overcome that. So say we all. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought we were doing all the different... I'm sorry. (laughs) All right. Well, one of the things I really enjoy, number 16, is like the immersive sets. I mean, I can't say I've been on any of the sets, 
<laughs> of Star Trek, but the fact that like you you hear people talk about the DS9 promenade set, and when you literally walked onto that set and everything was up and running, and you were kind of like before the turn, like it felt like you were on the station. I mean, you know, this was before everything you know, was super green screen. You literally had stars in the windows. You literally had shops there, you know, and, you know, even on like the original series, I've heard people who talk about, you know, being on the, the star, the Star Trek continues set. And they're like, once you're on it, you feel like you're on it. Like the bridge is there, like around the corner or, Oh, if I step through this door, what's there, you know? And I think that adds so much to the performance of the characters, but I just love that Star Trek does that. They go big on their sets. Yeah. I know when I went to, um, uh, the Star Trek, uh, the experience in Vegas, like when you went on the, sort Rest of, in peace. the, uh, the, uh, the promenade with, that they had over there. I mean that was that was because that's what they had over there. It's Quark Spar. That's what they had, um, and that yeah. that was just so cool. You know, they had the music and and everything, where you really felt like you see the you know the Ferengi walking around, the Borg walking around, and so that just that small part of that small experience for the fans, I think, was very cool. But I agree. I mean, you know, what fanboy or girl doesn't want to go to whatever your favorite bridge or ops or whatever is, and just t- have a seat in your favorite chair and just be in there. All right, Daniel, number 17. So I watched um, Trekkies and Trekkies 2 uh, this past week just because, you know, That's what good. the heck? We, there's not enough Star Trek to watch. So it's why, part why? of your rewatch, right? <laughs> 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 Star Trek fans, we literally cannot get enough and we'll watch anything Star Trek related. And, and, and they are good documentaries. So, you know, I'm not trying to knock them. Anyways, it's interesting to me. It's so interesting to me. And, of course, and, and Darren will tell you, right? Darren's part of the 501st. He built his own Stormtrooper armor. Like, this is a nerd thing. It's a nerd fascination to, to costume yours, to cosplay, to, to be, to try to inhabit the characters of the world that you love so much. And one of the aspects of, of Star Trek that I think really, really sticks with me is is the the uniforms the, the the continuity of how the characters look and of course things obviously change from series to series and but it's 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 incredible we 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 all do we all make fun of it we're like oh they look like they're wearing pajamas or like they look like they're wearing whatever but but there's something about it and i don't know what it is but like i take a character in a star trek uniform seriously like i'm like okay they're a professional person and you know even in the original series when it was just a t-shirt and 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 black pants you know (laughs) or even in enterprise when it was basically a kind of a purple jumpsuit i like them all i i i like some more than others but you know it's part of star trek and i i appreciate it for what it is yeah, I mean, I, and well, Phillips got his yeah, the, <laughs> yeah. They they can see I basically have my uh, TNG and then my Voyager DS9, whatever you want to call it, jumpsuit top behind me. I mean, yeah, because I think you know, and I'm sure Darren, same for you with the first. You know, when you put on that uniform for that very small moment, you look in the mirror and be like, "Yes, I am in this universe." And then you're like, "Oh wait, no, I need to lose 50 pounds." But anyway, <laughs> um, but you know, no, it, but it is cool to have that that like you said with the fan experience. You can at least put on that uniform and for a moment or two or three or four or five you feel like yes i am actually doing this i'm part of it all right philip number 18 let's keep going on that thread all right number 18 is all about the fans and the people and all the trekkies and trekkers or whatever you want to call yourselves that's that's the great part that we 
you know, I, I don't know. I, I mean, I guess maybe all fandoms are like this, but but at least Star Trek is at least one of the the fandoms where if you're a Star Trek fan and I'm a Star Trek fan, we can talk. We can doesn't matter whether we're from different cities or socioeconomic or you know, as long as we roughly speak the same language, maybe we can just go both into Klingon or something. I don't know. Um, we can talk about Trek. We can talk about what we like, what we don't like. I mean, we're we're here on Trek FM. That's the whole purpose of this thing is to talk about how much we like or you know, well, sometimes we talk about what we don't like, but how much we like about Trek, and we have our wonderful listeners right now who are listening to us. You're part of this, too, and, well, the feedback we get, the forums, the emails, the reviews, all that stuff, and the Trek discussion, and that's why we have this whole network in the first place with, with Chris Jones, you know, and so that's everything that the fandom does, the cons, everything else. It's just, it's a wonderful experience that's just beyond, you know, TV shows and movies. It's the whole fan experience that keeps the conversation going, as we say here on Trek FM. All right. Well, number 19, I just have to say, I love the doctor. Uh, you know, I, I mean, I not only listened to, to the journey, to, to the, the journey. journey, but I also listened to, uh, like the Delta Quadra podcast and every, everyone who watches voyages. I mean, even if he's not your favorite character, he's one of like, he's up there on the list because it's just such a great character. Robert Picardo is just amazing in that role. It, I mean, it's yes, it's kind of you know the the Spockish role, maybe a little bit you know the observing humanity, or maybe that's more seven or nine. But but I love what they do with the character and how it, it grows and just all the challenges they give him. Uh, ECH forever, Dude, I, 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 I'm all for I'm all for that. But I just I love that character. It's just it's a great it's Star Trek at its best right there. And it's not only the EMH, it's the EMH Mark II and everyone else. And even the Dr. Bashir EMH is pretty cool for a moment. So, you know, it's, 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 or Zimmerman. it's everything to cool. It's, you know, it's like That's his right. whole family. Yeah, I mean, family. everything that that whole thing, yeah. I mean, he's a doctor, not a doorstop. He's a doctor, not a light bulb. All right, Daniel, what's number 20? I, I talked a little bit about this before. Uh you know, with, with the technology, but the fact that so many, you know, I, I, I think a lot of people that are big Star Trek fans are also big into space and they're big into, uh, you know, exploration and, and they, they have these same passions. And I, I feel very strongly about space exploration and you can't go 10, 15 minutes in an interview with someone from NASA or, or Neil deGrasse Tyson, or it doesn't matter who you're talking to. Everybody is in some way influenced in the real world, in the actual real world, is, has been influenced by Star Trek and has said, I watched the show when I was a kid and man, I thought it was cool that we could go from, from planet to planet and from star system to star system. And at the, at the very base level, I feel like this is something Star Trek has of, above all other science fiction. I cannot think of another property that has had such an impact um, in the scientific and technical realms, um, you know, of course, you could say Star, Star Wars might be more is more pop culture, but Star Trek has been so influential and so in, uh, inspiring to people who do these things day to day that I kind of feel it's invaluable. I think it's really done a good service for our entire species, which is incredible. It's an amazing thing to say. I mean, we did name a shuttle after it, you know. So. <laughs> It's only a model. 
Um, yeah, and, and, and it's not even the space exploration. I'm sure there's doctors who became a doctor just because of McCoy or Bashir or whoever. I mean, it, it's almost anything science-y because, I mean, what Star Trek does, I mean, does a lot of things, but it makes you ask questions, and which is science, which is, which is medicine, which is all those things, and, and philosophy, too. But if, if Star Trek makes you ask a question, makes you ask another question, that's going to hopefully inspire you to do great things in the real world. All right, Philip, 21, we're heading towards the midpoint. Right, well, jumping off on kind of what I just said here, exploring the unknown. I mean, again, it's kind of, you know, it's what's on the title, right? Trek, stars, Star Trek. Um, but, but that's what we do. We, we explore the unknown in Star Trek. But it's not only, you know, what's behind that star, nebula, um, and all that. I mean, what Star Trek explores is the unknown, and that doesn't just mean planets and aliens though that or cultures it's also to be you know somewhat hippy trippy but i'll say it anyway ourselves you know that you see the characters exploring what things are what things look like what do we define and is that really a real thing and and just the unknown again star trek isn't is isn't afraid to ask the question about the unknown and is also not afraid to explore the unknown not to run away from it not to call it names not to you know freak out about it it's to go explore and that's that's really what Trek is about, and it's what makes me love it. What is in the you know opening monologue? You know, to go where no man's but gone before, or no one, or no, no one. one. Gosh, jeez! And you're in the sixties anymore, Darren? <laughs> <laughs> With a daughter? <laughs> I know. <Well>. Gosh. <laughs> All right, well, moving on from that, number twenty-two. <laughs> <laughs> I chose again another integral part, uh, Odo, just the character. Again, just one of those breakout roles that just became a fan favorite. And you could do so much with the character, not just because he was pliable in a physical sense, but, you know, <laughs> but also because, you know, Renee was an amazing actor. And just, you know, uh, he, he just. He he took that character and he was just the just the sad eyed character that you just felt sorry for, and you wanted him so badly to, to hook up with Kira, and it took so freaking long to get there, but it was you know but it was a good payoff. But but no, I I really enjoy that character and uh, it added you know because you never know like when you're adding characters together in a new series like where the chemistry is going to work and. I mean Garrick and you know Quark and all these you know characters. You you don't know where the lightning's going to strike, and it definitely did on Odo. I think. And and this is the thing about Trek that it's I don't know if the four new Trek shows had the same casting people, but you know between like like we already talked about between Robert Picardo and then Renee Abergenois and Brent Spiner and um, oh my Armin goodness, Shimmerman. help me. Armin Shimmerman. Yeah. I was going to think, uh, who plays Dr. Ethan Phillips? No, no, no. Who plays Dr. Flocks? Oh, oh gosh, I am like, oh, Billingsworth? What's his name? Uh, something like that. Ken Billingsworth? No. John John's Billingsworth. Billingsworth. Is that it? Something Billingsworth? Oh, my goodness. Chris, help us out. <laughs> Anyways. We, I'm revoking all of our Trek cards. They, they're just thrown <laughs> in know. the trash. John Billingsley, I think his name is, yeah. Um, Trek has this amazing ability to define these these really great actors really amazing <laughs> actors and put them in these roles and somehow and, convince them to sit in a makeup chair for six yeah, hours. I was going to say all these people <laughs> had the, had the short end of the makeup stick except for, except for the doctor, I guess. But yeah, you're right. Yeah. You know. Well, he actually had hair. Uh, but yeah, I'm think- no, I'm just kidding. 
<laughs> well, the thing with Odo, I mean, because he's such a serious character, I mean, and some would say, you know, maybe the darkest in some ways, but he has the best one-liners in Deep Space Nine. Like, that's the guy that's going to give you the humor in Deep Space Nine, <laughs> is Odo asking about the songs they sing about the Great Tribble Wars. <laughs> that's Do true. they still that's sing true. great songs about the Great <laughs> Tribble Hunt? <laughs> uh. All right, Daniel, number 23. So I'm, again, going to push this out into the real world of what, what Trek has done for us. And it's done amazing things in popular culture. We have, we have parodies. Uh, of course, you know, the first, I think, maybe real big pop culture effect Star Trek had was on Saturday Night Live, right? The, you know, uh, the, the whole William Shatner. <laughs> it's just a show, guys. It's just Get a, a life, show. people. <laughs> But 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 and that's just the beginning. I mean I mean you know eventually we got parody movie like we got Galaxy Quest and we've got entire shows that have really kind of been influenced by we we got uh, video games and music and and all of this thing all of these things like beam me up Scotty that's a meme and there are things and face palming and all of these <laughs> things that come from Star Trek and I don't know it just when I see these things, it makes me happy. It's like there are people out there who are enjoying the same thing that I'm enjoying, and it really reaches more people than you might initially think. More people are familiar with it and are happy with it, and it makes it brings a smile to their face in any context, and that makes me happy. All right, Philip, number 24. Um, you know, one thing I'm always I love Star Trek is that it it teaches. I mean, whether you're a kid watching it for the first time or adult, and to me, at number twenty four, it's about the arts in Star Trek, about in world. You know, in the twenty third or twenty fourth or twenty second century, they're still exploring the arts. What do I mean by that? Like, you know, in Enterprise, I had to look up some of these black and white movies this crew was watching because I've never heard of them. And it's was like, okay, that's pretty cool stuff. And then, you know, in, in Voyager, you get opera with the Doctor. Um, you get nice uh, black and white 1950 sci-fi. Um, but you get all these references to Earth's past. I mean, even in TOS, you get um, Shakespeare uh, with, with – um, Apollo, uh, Conscience yeah. of the King, I believe. Conscience of the King. Um, yeah, and Apollo, you get the Greek – uh, mythology, but uh, but all all these things go back and celebrate what is in the past. Because because you know Trek, we see maybe a celebration of the future, but we don't forget where we came from. We don't forget that there's all these great things that you can listen to right now. You can go watch right now, and it teaches you not that just there. Don't listen to. I mean, there's great stuff going on here in the modern contemporary stuff, but don't forget we have how many hundred years of recorded human history. There's a lot of great stuff out there, and they're still listening and watching it and talking about it in the future. I think makes me go, hey, what is that thing? I mean, I need to go look that up. I need to go read that book. I need to go look at that poem. I need to go listen to that music. And so I think that's cool that they still talk and promote that. Or if you listen to Chekhov, didn't he say pretty much all of that was invented in Russia? <laughs> it was a little old lady in Leningrad. Yeah. Well, 25, I really like, I like that baseball is in DS9. Because, I mean, yeah, in, in some of the other you know times you see sports, it's like a made-up sport. Or like you don't actually see it played. Or it's like, oh, it's tennis, but I mean, space tennis or Water something. polo? That's made up. God. Oh, it's oh, okay. Oh, well, sorry. to the point that was the prequel, which came later. So we hadn't gotten there at that point. But Ambo Jitsu? Is that what you're talking yeah, about? Yeah, may, maybe. Uh, was it Percy Squares? Which 
sounds like a checkerboard fair. game, but apparently it's like deadly. I don't know. I don't. I'm, <laughs> I'm trying to visualize that. It's wizard's chess. It's, but <laughs> oh, if only. But I like how you know. I mean, okay. Like it or, or or hate it, take me out to the hall suite. I mean, it's 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 a whole episode dedicated to playing baseball with Vulcans, which can only happen in Star Trek. But just even Cisco, like you, you know, the I felt like that was a okay to have that be an episode because that was such a thread with Cisco. It wasn't just like, oh yeah, well, didn't you know Cisco loves baseball? We've never actually told you that. But you know, no, they they they've they sowed that seed. You What's know, he holding in his hand every way, episode? Way, I know, yeah. Uh, oh, but, but, by the way, Tom Paris is an expert on the 20th century guys. In case you didn't know, he knows all the automobiles. Oh yeah, he he's oh. you know he was a pep boy. But uh, well, well, I love how I mean that's such like I mean I don't know, I don't want to say guy things. I'm sure there's women who do that too. But like you go to someone's office, they'll have that football or that you know ball that they throw around when they're you know trying to think or or in a meeting or and whatever. Spitballing, and like, yeah. Cisco had that. Yeah, Cisco had that ball, and he was just you know, and then that was like the big symbol, you know, of when he had to evacuate Deep Space Nine, and that baseball was right there, and Goldman uh, yeah. knew what that meant. That. Yeah, and so I, I agree. And then even if wishes were horses, you still have you know coming to life, and he and Jake bonded over baseball. But anyway, yeah, yeah. yeah. So baseball and, wasn't necessarily and... in the best episodes of Deep Space Nine. <laughs> <laughs> they struck I, out. I, oh. I actually, they, oh come on! I actually love Take Me Out to the Hall Suite. I think it's a fantastic episode. Death uh, to the opposition. <laughs> it's so good. I love that episode. Um, but and you're like the one problem I have with this, and this is a personal opinion, so nobody take offense to it. I just think Cisco is a more interesting character. Than baseball, I think he'd be interested in a more interesting sport than baseball. Baseball is so boring. and clock building. Don't forget clock building. <laughs> <laughs> wow, I forgot about that one. <laughs> All right, uh, Daniel, take us to number twenty-six. So you know we've we had an entire episode about this, and I'm sure you can find lots of shows that talk about this. We're gonna the Prime Directive, um, which is something that's mentioned briefly in TOS and then picked up on all the other series and. Uh, even in Enterprise, when they kind of said, "Hey, maybe we should do something. Maybe have some sort of Prime Directive." Directive, that's Prime Directive. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever Wait, they call it. The <laughs> <laughs> it's just something. Uh, I think it's one of the things Star Trek does well is it it actually thinks through the consequences of the actions that the characters are performing. Hey. Maybe going around. This is City space. Alpha Five. <laughs> <laughs> oh wait, maybe not all. You know, maybe going around and exploring space is a cool concept. But hey, maybe sometimes you're gonna muck some stuff up. Like there could be some serious issues if you just try to do this. And uh, you know, I just I love the Prime Directive, even if it's inconsistent sometimes. Wait, 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 wait. Hold but, on, hold on. Are wait. you saying <laughs> that? Never mind. All right. It surprised the hell out of me. Philip, give me number 27. Uh, 27. I mean, you know, a lot of the things, and, and people may think I'm talking about TOS, but I'm not. I'm talking about all, all of them to include movies and JJ and everything else. But the stories, the, the stories we tell and we see on screen or, or um, on the movie screen or on the TV screen, 
um, that they can rise above all these props and sets and costumes, which which may seem silly, which may seem cheesy, like or you know if you're I mean not trying to stir controversy, but if, like for the JJ thing, if you're like oh the lights and the sets and I don't know, blah, blah, blah. but like still the stories are there, and I think the the actors and and the directors and you know all the millions of people who make things possible and TV series and movies that they can make this come together and make sense and that these stories can just take you away you know I'm sure you know if you have a friend or a significant other or whatever who's never seen Star Trek and you're like no 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 watch it it's cool they're like oh this is the one where they do the pajamas and the blah, blah, blah. I'm like no no watch it watch it it's cool and maybe it takes an episode or two but I think or hope maybe I'm wrong um, that those stories will will take them in and, and will take them beyond what seems this you know silly future show um, that you know with this boom with the zap zap phasers and all that you know that there's actual a lot going here and I, and I love that that's that that's what can be done i mean everything else is just it's just icing on the cake to make things look cool and seem cool but it's it's the stories that get us there yeah i definitely think of you know was it is it future tense or future imperfect the voyager episode where they go back in time uh future tense future, future tense, tense future imperfect future, tng that's episode. right yeah there's lots of future uh, you know, it's Star Trek, but you know, yeah, yeah, when they go back to the '90s and it's like, you know, one that's I'm more laughing at what's was being worn in the '90s than anything that was being worn <laughs> in Star Trek. But you know, when they're walking around, and it, yeah, it's like that's where you see it's like, wow, these these costumes look really jarring versus what was being worn at the time. But in the universe, they, like Daniel said, like the uniforms look great. Like you don't see a sci-fi uniform; you see a uniform. You see a communicator, like it, especially, you know, you see an iPad basically, you know, being used. So <laughs> it, it meshes so well. One of the things, number 28, I really like is the cast families. We heard, we've heard it time and time again. I mean, the original series cast, almost, it seems like every single main cast of a Star Trek show, like not only do you have a pretty good thing going, because you're probably going to be on the show for many, many years, but you also <laughs> have... You know, <laughs> sorry, Enterprise. Yeah, not I didn't say seven, but you know, many, many years. Uh, but, <laughs> but you know, you see that they love hanging out together. They love like I know, like the Voyager guys like get together, you know, for drinks, you know, every year or every once in a while. Like that's awesome. I love that those actors do that. That they became had such camaraderie, <laughs> and some of them have children together. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> And you know, I mean, I know a lot of a lot of the point of this episode of of Earl Grey is to celebrate all of Star Trek. But I, I do, I do, I actually talked to Christopher Jones on one of the red rooms I did with him about how the TNG cast, I think, is the tight, the tightest knit cast. Yeah, it's I agree. The closest cast. It's the one that feels the most like a family. Not you know, they everybody has their interesting dynamics and interesting people, but like when those seven to eight to eight and a half, you know, Yahoo, um, people get together. It really does feel like, you know, that like they're just picking up from the last time they saw each other. And, the, you know, uh, but, but, but I agree with Darren. It's, it's not just the TNG people that do that. All right, Daniel, give us number 29. Uh, so this will be a quick one. Um, I like where, where, we don't really get an explanation for this until first contact, but it's kind of hinted at a lot of in Star Trek. Uh, but money, money is a thing that's, it isn't dealt with. It's like the prime directive, which I mentioned before, not dealt with very consistently. 
Worthless gold. Um, this, I, Wait. What? <laughs> Uh, but I like this concept, at least in, a, in the conceptual form, that humanity has given up that, has, has moved beyond the, the idea of money and has been, you know, it's more communal. It's more about the betterment of everyone. And it makes sense in a world where you can replicate anything. Maybe we don't understand how that, those, you know. The economics of the 24th century are quite different. You know, like we, you know, it, of course we would, we don't understand the greatest it in understatement world. by him ever. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, we don't understand it in the world that we live in. But I, I actually feel like that's a very super profound statement that Picard makes in that movie. Movie, and you could write an entire book or thesis about what would a world ex- what would a world be like without poverty if you could completely eliminate it. How how much would it change things and uh, and I think that's kind of this it's kind of a central tenement to the to the to the philosophy of Star Trek. Right. I mean, it's, and it works both ways. I mean, there's no I mean, not to use an overused phrase, but there's no one percent in Trek either. I mean, there's no poverty. There's no rich. It's it's it is what it is. Um, and uh, though, I mean, I don't know, like there's there's like colonists on planets who aren't, you know, doing well, but that's because they chose to do that. Um, but I, I think, you know, I always think of Star Trek four with like, you know, Kirk leaving the pizza place. She's like, well, let me guess. In the 23rd century, you don't have money. He's like, well, we don't. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he's like getting the he he's selling the watch. He's like, I could probably give you a hundred. Kirk's yeah. like, is that a lot? The guy's like, eh. is that a lot? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I know he's yeah. selling the. Gla- he's like, weren't those glasses a gift from Doctor McCoy? He's like, and they will be again. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so. But you know, I, I like what you're saying, Daniel. It's true. It's it. I mean, the dynamics of money are kind of fuzzy in Star Trek, but the the fact that the acquisition of wealth is not the number one driving force of society, that's the big change for me. And that's what I that's what I like the best. And I think it forces you to ask the question that if you didn't have to get a job based on money, what would you do? And so that's what yeah. Star Trek asks. I mean, Starfleet captain, it, it may, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, you got to work for it. Um, you know, some people end up being a seventy-year-old, you know, lieutenant junior grade uh, science assistant officer. Um, but uh, you know, th- that's it's it's really what you, what you got to work on. So I think it's an interesting question to ask. You know, if you had to, if you money wasn't the thing, what would you be? I don't know. That's a good question. People may have not ever asked themselves because because they, they can't ask themselves. All right, Philip, number thirty. Um, this is one that I that I kind of talked about a little bit with Janeway, but number thirty for me is that characters who make mistakes because you know goodness knows I've made many mistakes in my life. I mean, big ones, and and I'm sure other people have too. You know that, that affect your life. Um, and and I think you look at someone like Tom Paris, who you know made a made a mistake that cost lives. I mean, you know, knock on wood that I've never had that mistake before um but it's still some big ones um but that he rose above it and that and i think you see in trek one thing that's in a motivation for me is that you'll see whether it's wesley crusher whether it's you know people making bad command decisions i mean even you know and, and other other series as well Worf on deep space nine with with you know you can argue whether it was a bad decision or not with with jizia you know when you had to make that life or death decision and that you know they I get punished, you referring to marrying her at first no no <laughs> No, 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 um but you know when cisco upwrites him about you know the decision but but all these people who make mistakes all these officers whether it's kirk you know wait what decisions you know his son his ship you know at what cost but all these characters of the series who make these mistakes and you know some you know more than us but you can, you see that 
either the people they're with or their commanders, they say, you know what, you made a mistake, we're going to punish you, but guess what? Your punishment is you still have to stay here and you still have to perform. And then they have to earn that trust back, whether it's Paris you know, being demoted um, and all that stuff. And so it gives you hope, like, you know what, you can do bad, but as long as you stick, it, stick to it, Maybe maybe you can come back, and maybe and then I think our characters do come back. So I think that's a, an inspiration to us all. Even and even the captains make mistakes a lot too. So no, it's very true. All right, number thirty-one. I like the glowing force field belts on the animated series. <laughs> I think it's kind of a cop out to uh, drawing the animation, but you know that aside, it was a cool, um, you know. Uh, you know, I think it was a a good aspect. You know, I liked how they in the animated series they were able to draw anything they wanted. You got much. I mean, your budget wise, I'm sure it was still kind of similar to a TV show, but like the original series. But the fact that you could draw whatever you wanted and everything could be more fantastical. You know, I really liked that. All right, yeah, number. I, 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 oh. <laughs> No, I, I do like. I mean, because you, you you look at the uh, the motion picture because that's what that was supposed to be, right? On their little bellies there, was that was supposed to be their force field belt still there from TAS? I don't no, know sure like, what that was supposed to be. <laughs> I thought that I thought that was their morpher. <laughs> like each each of them were gonna, you know, whatever. Command. It's just like the nineteen seventies belt buckle. Science. Command. <laughs> Command. Science. Engineering. Engineering. Counselor. <laughs> and nobody wants it. <laughs> Oh, Ilea. Okay, number 32, (laughs) Daniel. Infinite diversity and infinite combinations, which to me sums up Star Trek's philosophy in four words um, and is super important. And just, you know, you can boil it down to that. It's, you know, Philip mentioned. Uh, you know the different bridge crews and how how aliens and humans and different you know different parts of humanity are represented, but it's it's what we want to be. It's we want to be okay with being who we are, and it's it's you know it's it's just the fact that everybody can just be what they are without having. I don't know. I, what else can you say about what else can you say about Itik? Itik, that's it. Itik, that's all I'm going to say, I guess. And I think you know, and I don't know. I don't know whether it's overstating it or not because sometimes I think we romanticize it. But like again, in the late '60s, you know, almost in the early '70s. I mean, you know, for all intents and purposes, that's a radical concept. You know, not every place. I mean, because Star Trek, at least when it first aired, was mostly you know um, you saw it in America. I mean, that's United States, pretty much, and it got global eventually. But uh, you know, even nowadays, that's not necessarily a you know a yeah. common thing that that you, that's not an acceptable thought in, in a lot of places, even even here in the United States, in some places. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I think it's a radical concept and it's simplicity, but that you know, when Spock, who was not human, right? He's he's half human, half alien. I mean, that's a some people would definitely have a problem with that. Um, you know, saying that, I think that's that's something that's certainly an inspiration for us all. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I even like how the jellyfish in JJ kind of looks like the IDIC with the little triangle chair and the circle window. <laughs> I, I saw that. All right, Philip, 33. Uh, 33. Um, and, and this is what I like. We kind of talked about it, but that, you know, Throughout all the series and movies, everyone is serious about making this a legit world that we live in, that we see, 
I mean, we kind of talked about how it be being a shared universe, but but even each series, each episode, each movie, we take this seriously. And we talked about a little bit with the science, but like you know, the thing with with Gene Roddenberry, he, he I think he tried to do it in TOS, and then got a little better in TNG and Deep Space Nine, and and, every, and I mean, he, he passed away. But all the other people who inherited it did it with the other series. Let's make this realistic. We're not just going to be like. Let's use the plasma jet pack. I mean, sometimes they did that, but it, they try to make it like, let's actually try to make this make sense, guys. Let's actually talk to some scientists. Let's get some people. Are we, is this something plausible? And okay, and if we're just going crazy banana pants, that's where we get the techno babble. But like, we try to make this a real world that makes sense, you know? And sometimes we do, you know, kind of like waver over some things of maybe how gravity and warp and whatever. But for the most part, we try to make things make sense. And I think that's what the inspiration is for a lot of folks is like when they're like, oh, wait, that's a real concept? That just wasn't just some writer doing – oh, well, I want to learn more about that. How does this work? You know, sometimes it's made up, but a lot of times it's factual-based. And, we're, and we, we take this world seriously, not too seriously, hopefully, but it's a serious world of the, what the future could be. And, you know, hopefully you can adapt that for the modern times. What is amazing to me, constantly amazing to me, uh, is the fact that every six months, every year, you'll get these articles in real, in, real, in real news publications, in the New York Times or you know, CNN or like anything, anything. If you're on the internet, you're going to see these things where it's like, wait a minute, warp drive, yeah. is it possible? Or somebody's <laughs> developing a warp drive ship that looks exactly like the Enterprise. <laughs> Or, hey, wait a minute, could we actually transport people? Or is the holodeck a real thing? Like, it's incredible to me that even now, you know, even these concepts that we built in the 60s or or even in the late 80s are still relevant and are still futuristic and are still things that we're working towards. Like, I, I agree with you, Philip. Like, it took a serious amount of foresight and a serious amount of thinking and like, hey, we're not breaking the laws of physics by saying let's we you know, we can't go faster than light. Let's push it into warp territory where it might be theoretically we'll bend possible. Bend the laws. We'll bend the laws, <laughs> right? And it's incredible. It's amazing that e- even now you can't go six months without. How long ago was it that like somebody was like, "Oh, I could build the Enterprise for like a billion dollars, and we could totally go to warp speed." It wasn't that long ago that <laughs> no. that was going around the internet. So, and they were doing that in Minecraft. So it's you know this is all <laughs> kinds of things. So. Well, I always think of the fact that like the bridge layouts, like of the original series or of many of them, like you see actual command centers based off of that because it's an actual very functional design i mean we were designing a new control room for our new worship center at a at my church and i may have overlaid a, a the enterprise bridge on it <laughs> to uh come up with some options but it's it's functional it's proven i mean you know uh, uh, darren does does the, what is this ready room and why is it so big what's a fish tank doing in here <laughs> I, why am I why am I captain instead of pastor? I don't understand. What does this mean? Why do the doors have to open like like the two sliding apart? Like that doesn't that doesn't make sense. Look, I got a great deal from Food Lion. They were practically giving them away. <laughs> All right, number thirty four. Uh, I just put dead stop. Uh, I've I've talked about this episode a lot with Chris uh, on Warp Five. It's one of my favorite. Uh, episodes in Star Trek. I just love all the aspects of it. I love, you know, you see humans and aliens and you see the technology and there's little hints at all sorts of things. And it's just a great mystery story. 
uh, it's 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 really Star Trek shining really well. So I just I like you'll, to pepper to in some me. of my favorite episodes. Oh, it's the one where uh, so it's it's after Minefield where the Enterprise had like the uh, oh, had, like a huge destruction. Romulans. Is that what I said? <laughs> no, I'm just oh, saying the Rom- I thought I, Minefield. Yeah, I thought Romulans. I thought I. Might oh, this have is the one with Romulan the uh, the species. replicating repair right. station. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it like opens up and. You know, and and then you know, like, where's the yeah. computer? You know, and then it's it, yeah, it takes Travis. So, yeah, that's the one. Sorry, yeah, it's for... basically the uh, the ships of Catan because you have to give it resources, and then you never mind. <laughs> yeah, two wheat, two wheat for warp plasma manifold. Two wheat, two wheat, two wheat. <laughs> I'm sorry, love, your I... ship is adjoining to this sector, and you cannot place your resource <laughs> there. <laughs> I love this is one of my favorite episodes of, of Enterprise and I really love Enterprise so um I, I I agree with you wholeheartedly Darren it's it's a really cool sci-fi concept that it's, it's one of those things that you if you're watching Star Trek and you're like I'm surprised that there wasn't in any of the other shows like, like everything's magically fixed by the time you get to the next episode <laughs> and not so in this one yeah Voyager was encountering that thing every every week <laughs> so it was fine oh. <laughs> it was just never on screen and, and we know the USS Hood had all those things built into it you know it's the only way <laughs> all right now Daniel take us into number 35 I, I was actually really considering the other day the importance of the best of both worlds and I know this isn't, we're trying to be broader about Star Trek, and that's great. Is the best of both worlds the first instance of a cliffhanger in Star Trek? And it's not. Oh. We get a very, very much more, not more significant, but a very significant cliffhanger between Star Trek II and Star Trek Three. And I, I think that's the, the impetus for Star Trek's cliffhangers. And I, I Well, even before then, I think, you had the Menagerie. Was a two-parter. Oh, that's true. That was a two-parter. I mean, I don't know if you would call it a cliffhanger, but I mean, it did have like, from a week to week, it was like, hey, what's going to happen to to Spock? Is he going to get drummed out of Starfleet? Yeah, you're absolutely you're absolutely right. And I didn't even consider that. And for the, for folks who are complaining about waiting a summer, yeah, wait wait four years to figure out how that cliffhanger <laughs> is between Star Trek Two and Star Trek Three. <laughs> But uh, you know, between like, but even if we even if we started at the menagerie, um, even if we go to Star Trek Two and Star Trek Three, even if we go to the Best of Both Worlds, or or any of the many 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 two parters in, in Deep Space Nine, or or or, or nine parters Voyager in Enterprise, uh, yeah, or the entire you know. Anyways, this idea of Star Trek was kind of pioneering this idea of continuity in a lot of ways. In television, and you know, we of course uh, we're TNG fans, so we're immediately going to point to Best of Both Worlds, which did change television. Like that episode changed how television worked, but it was not without precedent, and it certainly wasn't the only thing that we got to see coming after that. So, so I think Star Trek has a lot of really cool. It, it lends itself to this idea of, oh my goodness. This adventure is only halfway through. What's going to happen next? And I appreciate that. And I, lo- I even when I don't love it, even in, in, in like, and and I'll pick on our series. Even if even if I'm going to pick Descent, I'm always interested in at least what's going to happen next. What's coming? What's like? What's going to happen? Who knows? Yes, the human adventure is just beginning. 
So, as Daniel, Philip, and Darren circle through 47 amazing aspects of Trek, we'll find out what their final 11 are next time on Earl Grey. Well, it's been fun talking about these 35 favorite things so far on our 47 list about Star Trek today. We'll pick up the last few next week on Earl Grey. But it's just one of the few Trek topics we've been talking about here on Trek FM this week. Here's a quick look at what you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.fm, Standard Orbit. It doesn't make any sense. I mean, you're, you're, you're dealing with people who are, you know, stupid. I mean, you know, <laughs> s- stupid and, and uh, just so clouded with bigotry and stuff like that, that it's just like, well, what can you say to them? Earl Grey. Oh, that's right, because there was like a an engineer lady. Yeah, I think I think Jordy. She's, she's basically maybe? Ariel, and she wants more. She wants to see where the wait. Does she have are. some thingamabobs? The orb. I think that's the thing that Casey does is he he's able to take what the writers gave us and portray a man who is going to do a one eighty, and you're gonna mm-hmm. believe it. The ready room. In watching it again today, preparing for this, I was appreciative of the fact that Wesley was there going, gee whiz. To the journey! I did like that we got to see some genes in Enterprise. But that makes sense. I mean, it's yeah. kind of bridging the gap between 24th century and now. I don't want to see Captain Janeway in jeans. Because you know they'd be mom jeans, right? Commentary, Trek stars. I think that the term talk soup for geeks is actually very descriptive, which I still find very strange, because I still don't know how that possibly is an example that makes sense. Yeah, there's a lot of people who watch... Uh, as they call it now, the soup. I don't approve of that. That's disgusting. Okay. Literary treks. Each character had to go on a mission alone with Spock in a small craft, and that <laughs> led them all to decide to leave the Enterprise. I am not working with that guy alone ever again. <laughs> and introducing our newest show, Star Trek Axanar, the official podcast. We've been having a great time experimenting with what works, what doesn't work. You know, what does a Klingon D6 sound like? No one really knows. We don't know what an impulse manifold on a, on a, or a fusion reactor on a D6 sounds like. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out these shows and get in on the daily Trek talk. You'll find them on iTunes, Stitcher, the Windows podcast directory for Xbox and Zune, or you can stream them from the website. Just visit trek.fm slash pd for the podcast directory to get all the links. If you'd like to share your thoughts on today's Earl Grey, just go to trek.fm slash contact. There's a form there. Choose to send a show. That option on the side, choose Earl Grey, and that'll come to all three of us by email. You can also use the tab on the right-hand side of any page to send us a voicemail using your webcam's microphone. And you can talk to us and other listeners on our forums at trek.fm slash forums. In social media, you'll find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm and on Twitter under username trek.fm. Also, please let us know how we're doing by leaving an iTunes review. That will help other listeners find our show here in 2014. Well, reviews are very important to us, not only because we love to hear what you think about the show, but also because they impact how we place in iTunes and on Stitcher. Reviews will make it easier for other Star Trek fans to find our show. We know that it does take some extra time to visit iTunes you know, or Stitcher to write the reviews, so as an added incentive to share your thoughts on our shows, we're giving away some great prizes as part of a month-long promotion. These include a season of Star Trek, your choice, on Blu-ray or DVD, 
Now, obviously, that has to be a series that's actually on Blu-ray right now, but Lord willing, we'll get some more of those coming soon. An official Starship collection ship from Japan, complete with Japanese magazine, Star Trek novels, and a fun collection of alien art badges. Winners will be drawn at random from all entries received before midnight Pacific time on July 31st. All you need to do to enter is to leave us a rating or review on iTunes and or Stitcher. You can only leave one review per show, of course, but you can review multiple shows and do so on both iTunes and Stitcher. And for each review, you'll receive one entry in the drawing. Remember that you can also review the master feed, and that will get you an entry as well. So there's two steps for entering, leaving your review on iTunes and or Stitcher, and then you visit trek.fm review and complete the form there. We're looking forward to hearing from you, and thank you for your support. Before we go, we'd like to ask everyone to please support our sponsor, who helped us bring Earl Grey to you each week. Our sponsor for this show is audible.com. Audible is a great way for you to read all the books you've always wanted to read but never thought you'd have time for. Audible is the premier source for audiobooks with more than 150,000 titles to choose from, and new titles are coming out every week, from classics to current bestsellers, and even some of the most famous Star Trek books like Prime Directive, Federation, and Spock's World. Audible has something for everyone. As a Trek FM listener, you can get a free audiobook of your choice along with a 30-day trial to see just how great Audible is. So give it a try today, catch up on all those classic Star Trek books you've yet to read, and that latest novel from your favorite author as well. Just go to audibletrial.com slash trekfm and sign up today. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And we thank Audible for supporting Earl Grey and Trek FM. And lastly, there are, there's one more way that you can directly help us keeping Earl Grey coming to you each week, and that's by adopting some aliens. Well, illustrations of aliens anyway. If you can go to trek.fm slash donate, you'll find eight original alien illustrations by Toba Ushi, who does most of the artwork you see on our website. They're available in both badges and art prints, and there are different co- contribution levels that you can choose from. Just let us know what you would like and in what format. Again, you'll find them at trek.fm slash donate. And your support helps us to pay for the costs of production, hosting, and bandwidth that's needed to bring the show to you each week. Well, Daniel, if someone's interested in talking to you about long lists, uh, where can they find you on the internet? If you want to give me your list of top 10 nacelles, I guess maybe top five, top five sets of nacelles, uh, they can find me on Twitter. Uh, I'm at 1UpDan, and that is the number one, not the word. And, you know, Philip, if someone wants to talk about how you just keep name dropping that one particular captain, uh, where can they talk to you? They can Picard find me at Picard on Twitter <laughs> at NC Public Servant. That's NC like Picard. <laughs> and if they want to talk about why on earth, Darren, did you make a list of 47 things? Didn't you know this episode was going to get split into two? Uh, they can find me <laughs> on Twitter under username Dr. Sci-Fi, D-R-S-C-I-F-I. Well, it's been a lot of fun talking about, you know, this list. Uh, again, I, I, I really am looking forward to us picking it up again next week. Live long and prosper. Make it so. Engage. Fire. Fire.